because I know that is an effort. Okay, diving into the sermon. In the early 1900s, Marie Curie and her husband, Pierre, were on the cutting edge of science. Together, they won the Nobel Prize in 1903. Pierre actually died that same year. Later, Marie became the first woman to be the professor of general physics at the Faculty of Science in Paris, which is one of the world's premier universities. Marie was a smart lady. The Curie's scientific explorations focused on radioactivity. They were the first to discover the elements radium and polonium. I didn't even know polonium was an element, so that shows how intelligent I am, which are both radioactive. Marie Curie, she knew that radioactivity was a big deal. She saw significant potential in how it could be used. During World War I, her and her daughter first used x-rays to help treat battlefield wounds. Whereas many people would have used this knowledge to make themselves extravagantly wealthy, Marie, she gave away her knowledge. In the first part of the 20th century, industries of all sorts used radioactivity, radioactive material in their products, things like chocolate and paint had radioactive materials in them. Marie herself, she would walk around all the time with a jar of radioactive material in her pockets. She would pull it out and show it to people at parties. She used it as a nightlight. The possible benefits of radioactivity were obvious to Marie. She failed to see the risk in dealing with anything so powerful. On the 4th of July, 1934, at a hospital in Passé, France, at the age of 66, Marie Curie died. The cause of her death was aplastic pernicious anemia, a condition she developed after years of exposure to radiation through her work. Today, we are going to look at some verses from Acts for our continuing series on the Holy Spirit, which we started last week. Prior to these verses in Acts, the early Christians, they had a great sense of all the benefits that came along with having the Holy Spirit. All they saw was upside. They don't see the risk of being in the presence of anything so powerful. In these verses, the danger of the Holy Spirit for any that don't take him seriously is made clear. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 5. That's page 858 if you're using the Pew Bible. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord remains forever. That certainly escalated quickly. I have never been to a church service that ended with bodies being carried away. And I very much hope that I never am. These verses put a whole new spin on someone saying someone was slain in the spirit. The death of Ananias and Sapphira in the midst of the believers would have been shocking in any situation. It was especially shocking because of how clear it was that these deaths were an act of judgment. These verses, they tell us a lot about who the Holy Spirit is and what our response to him should be. We also need to see where Ananias and Sapphira went wrong. Many Christians today haven't taken the lessons these verses teach seriously enough. To better understand the truth of this passage, let's start with a little bit of background. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descended on believers in Jerusalem. Today, we call this event Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, an unimaginable shift occurred in how a person could relate to God. Since the fall in Genesis 3, people's relationship with God had been constrained. In the Old Testament, whenever a person had a direct interaction with God, they responded with fear. It seems there was an almost instinctual 
awareness that God was not to be trifled with. Those that didn't take God seriously enough sometimes ended up dead. For this reason, all sorts of safety measures needed to be taken if a close interaction with God was going to happen. The latter half of the book of Exodus and all of Leviticus are, are an instruction manual for how to exist in close proximity with the Lord of the universe. All sorts of precautionary measures had to be taken. The high priest only entered the inner sanctum of the temple or the tabernacle and later the temple once a year for this reason. God's holiness, his power, was simply too overpowering. One way believers in God interacted with God was through various intermediaries. In the Old Testament, these intermediaries were normally priests or prophets. Priests underwent special training and preparation and they would offer sacrifices. Prophets were specially called by God to tell the people what was required of them. For a short time, while Jesus walked on the earth, those that knew him could interact with God face to face. But this was still limited. It was an amazing experience, but it was still limited because while Jesus was fully God, he was also just one man. Only so many people could have a conversation with Jesus at one time. That is while the crowds so desperately followed him. There was a limited amount of opportunity for relationship. The Holy Spirit entering into a relationship with individual people was a radical departure from the way things had been even during the time that Jesus walked the earth or from the Old Testament. The effects were significant. There was no longer a need for people to function as intermediaries between God and humanity. Instead of priests, there was a priesthood of all believers. Instead of only select prophets having special access to God, all who had the Holy Spirit had special access to God. Think about the temple. The temple had always been where people would go to come into God's presence. Now each believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, does that mean that it is no longer necessary to go to the temple in Jerusalem? If you do go, what is the purpose? These are real questions the believers are trying to answer in the early chapters of Acts. In Acts, the people are still very much trying to figure out what it means to be in a close relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Just as with any new relationship, there is a lot of excitement. Prior to today's verses at the end of Acts 4, we hear some of what is going on. Beginning in Acts 4.32, it says, 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The level of excitement must have been through the roof. Everything is awesome in the fullest sense of the word, these early Christians experience of the Holy Spirit is both good and awe-inspiring. In the midst of the early Christians excitedly figuring out what it means to have the Holy Spirit live within them, the event reported in today's verses happens. Ananias and Sapphira falling dead suddenly after getting caught red-handed lying would have been sobering. The tragedy reported in these verses feels like a story straight out of the Old Testament. And there had to be a feeling of like, haven't we moved past that? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, a man named Uzzah dies when he reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant after the oxen pulling the cart on which it is being transported stumble. Prior to that, back in Leviticus, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who are priests, get killed after the fire of the Lord consumes them. Not taking God's power, and especially His holiness, Seriously, is a foolish, potentially life-ending move. Most people get this when it comes to God. Those who believe in God don't think that God should be taken lightly. The Holy Spirit must be taken just as seriously. A few months ago, when we were in Exodus, we talked about the name of God, Yahweh, that Moses was informed of at the burning bush. The name means I am. God uses names to inform all people who pay attention of who he is. Jesus is a name that clearly communicates to us who God's Son is. The Holy Spirit is the most obvious possible name, right? You don't get more obvious than that. Back when I was in college, I connected with a new group of friends who they all mostly came from the same high school, so I was sort of the new guy in this group. And there was this one really cute young lady who struggled to remember who I was, so she labeled me Tall Brent. I was Tall Brent. You don't get much more obvious than that. 
Thankfully, by the time I married my wife, Anne, she knew me enough that she no longer felt the need to call me Tall Brent. <laughs> the most mysterious member of the Trinity has the most obvious name. He is holy, and he is spirit. The spirit part of the Holy Spirit doesn't tend to be a problem for us. For some reason, the holy part of the Holy Spirit, even though it is in the name, tends to get ignored. Imagine if someone 20 years ago who hadn't met me face to face had been surprised by the fact that the guy referred to as Tall Brent was in fact tall. You would wonder about that person's mental acuity. And yet the holiness of the Holy Spirit consistently catches people off guard. The fact the Holy Spirit is holy certainly surprised Ananias and Sapphira. Not taking the holiness of the Holy Spirit seriously is a common problem in Christian culture today. Along with the increased interest in the Holy Spirit over the past hundred years, there has arisen a more casual attitude regarding the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has often been confused with emotional impulses. When people feel something strongly in certain religious settings, they assume that the Spirit is at work in them. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit may certainly influence our feelings, but should not be confused with them. Remember, the Holy Spirit is holy. To be holy is to be separate. No part of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. This is an important delineation. It is often the case that Christians point to emotions they associate with the Holy Spirit as the basis for a course of action. I have heard people say they chose to quit a job, accept a job, get married, divorce, and many less significant decisions because of the Holy Spirit. These are all decisions in which the Holy Spirit can and does guide and correct. The Holy Spirit does work through our emotions as well as our intellect. Often when someone tells me the Holy Spirit has told them to do something though, I gotta say I'm suspicious. And sometimes I'm like, man, I, I think that's an outright self-deception. I've actually had people tell me that the Holy Spirit gave them the green light for all sorts of of immorality. Unfortunately, it is generally very hard to disprove a person's claim that the Holy Spirit is behind their decision. After all, God does work in mysterious ways. If a person says the Holy Spirit is at work, there isn't much of a rebuttal I or anyone else can offer unless it's, unless it's really clearly wrong. Using the Holy Spirit for selfish purposes may seem like a good idea.
for this reason. Kind of gives a permission structure to do whatever you want to do anyway. It's not. The Holy Spirit does not respond in desirable ways when His holiness is used as a reason for our selfishness. For our own well-being, we need to take the holiness of the Holy Spirit very seriously. Today's verses make clear the Holy Spirit has the power of God just as He has the holiness of God of God. Ananias and Sapphira, they learned this lesson at the cost of their own lives. Peter says to Ananias immediately before he dies, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You have not lied to man, but to God. Ananias did not take the power of the Holy Spirit seriously enough. Peter says a similar thing to Sapphira before she drops dead, asking, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Ananias and Sapphira thought they could use the Holy Spirit for their deception without consequence, and they were dead wrong. The fact the Holy Spirit doesn't make a habit of killing people where they stand, as happened with Ananias and Sapphira, isn't a reason to underestimate his power. Treating the Holy Spirit as common will incite judgment. And listen, I get it. I get it. That sounds extreme. It is totally consistent with who God is. The fact that the Holy Spirit so often withholds judgment is evidence of mercy. We should certainly appreciate this mercy. It's not a good idea to demand it. You might be wondering what it means, what does it mean to take the Holy Spirit seriously? That is, that's a good question. We should not use the Holy Spirit in a vain way. The second of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That applies to the Holy Spirit. And some of you might be thinking, well, it's great. I don't, I don't say the name of the Holy Spirit in vain. I don't say, oh, my Holy Spirit, Right? I don't just say Holy Spirit, like people say Jesus Christ. While it certainly means that, there is so much more to this command. When a person claims the Holy Spirit told them to do something they just really want to do, they are using the name of the Holy Spirit vainly. Peter points out to Ananias and Sapphira that would have been, it would have been totally fine for them to keep their property. It was theirs. They could have kept the proceeds from the sale. The problem for them or us is when we try to use the Holy Spirit as a validation for our own selfish schemes. 
Ananias and Sapphira wanted all the other Christians to think highly of them. That is why they acted the way they did. The Holy Spirit was a means of their personal glorification. When we take the Holy Spirit seriously, our focus will be on glorifying Him, not using Him in our schemes. The Holy Spirit is God. He is glorified as God and Christ are glorified. Many have argued this glorification of the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is man's highest calling. We glorify the Holy Spirit through worship. This certainly means magnifying Him in our prayers and singing. It also means glorifying Him by the way we live out our lives. When we act in ways consistent with the Holy Spirit's leadings, He is glorified. When we don't, He isn't. It's as simple as that. Marie Curie recognized the potential good that could be accomplished with the radioactive materials she helped discover. She didn't realize that this power needed to be treated with respect. Radioactive materials were not a novelty. They were not simply a cool new tool. However much power the materials Curie walked around with might have had, this power is insignificant compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira were aware of the Holy Spirit's goodness. They had experienced it, but ignorant of the full extent of the power that came with that goodness. They didn't take the Holy Spirit seriously enough, and it cost them their lives. Many today don't take the Holy Spirit seriously, and that is a grave mistake. Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is God. Through the Holy Spirit, God has come to reside in believers. This is an incredible good. There is no limit to what the Holy Spirit can bring about through people when He chooses to do so. We should rejoice in this potential, and we should celebrate the Spirit. In doing so, we must keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is God. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit's power and holiness. The Holy Spirit will be glorified as God will be. It is in His nature. Our calling as people is to glorify God three in one. In glorifying the Holy Spirit, we glorify the Father and the Son as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have as human beings to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. And the truth of this is a great mystery, and I am sure there are people in this room that think that this whole sermon just sounds bizarre. I pray that your spirit would work in the lives of everyone here, Lord. That it would call, that it would correct, Lord. 
And Lord, for those who have the Holy Spirit operating in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to take the, the holiness of the Holy Spirit seriously, Lord. That our lives and our behavior would reflect that, Lord. And we pray for your mercy and grace as well, because we know we need it. We know that we so often fall short. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.